This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the latest edition of Total Saints Podcast, your weekly pod going to the heart of all things Saints FC. It's been a seven days that saw TSB celebrate our 150th episode, courtesy of Laurie McMenemy. Yes, we've come a heck of a long way since episode one in early August 2017, which, alongside lots of constructive feedback on the initial pod, saw Stu tell us, quote, that tune at the start is horrendous. To be fair to Stu, he was right, and we quickly changed to the intro we have now, which is much friendlier for the ears. Anyway, glad to hear those of you who've listened have enjoyed the chat with Laurie. If you've not had a chance, then please do. It's well worth it, even if we do say so ourselves. On this week's pod, we'll be looking ahead to Tuesday's rearranged fixture with Leeds United up at Ellen Road, which kicks off a four-game road trip, as our friends over at the pond would say. Before that, we'll also be reflecting on Saints' latest result and another point on the board, finally, after the 1-1 draw with Chelsea. We'll also cover Minamino coolness, possession stats and penalty saving records. Chomping at the bit to cover all that are Steve, Glenn and weekly guest Dan Sheldon from The Athletic, like three peas on a pod, as Laurie might say. Evening, guys. Evening. 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 <laughs> um, Glenn, let's start with you then. Uh, a good week? Yeah, not not so bad. You know, actually getting a point has made it a better week. Yeah, I managed I managed to hurt my back at the start of the week, so I spent two days lying on the floor, but I'm all right now. But oh other than that, the week has not been too bad. Yeah, you're not lying on the floor now, though, are you? No, 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 I'm all fine recovered. now. 
No, yeah. it's, it's, it's something that happens relatively frequently, and it's basically two days of not moving, and then it uh, then it sorts itself out. But uh, but no, do you not have one of those um, uh, red cords with the triangle at the bottom to to pull it every time every time your back goes? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have anything like that. But I do have a, a, a set of exercises provided by my friendly osteopath, and the only um, the only thing I have to make sure is that none of my kids. Uh, deciding to film me trying to do it because I just I just yeah. look like a beach, beached whale lying on the floor trying. That's gone trying viral. To That's gone viral. Yeah, yeah. I don't need that. I don't need yeah. any of that. Thank you very much. Yeah. But no, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm fighting fit as Good they say. To Good to hear. And Steve, you were I saw you on Chelsea Fancast Friday previewing the Samaritans fixture. So uh, did that all go well? Did you stick with yes. your three-one Chelsea prediction? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, once once they got the equaliser, I fully expected that to end up being the case but pleasant surprise should we say yeah it's been it's actually been actually been a good week of not having to watch football um for the most part obviously a free a free week for the first time in god knows how long and yeah it's just been nice and relaxing um caught a couple of the champions league games and stuff but i wasn't wasn't overly invested in in any of it so that was uh good to kind of have a bit of a refresh, really. Yeah, no, we'll get to it later, but uh, Mr. Delacour got another excellent uh, spot-on prediction, so he's flying away with this prediction lead, ah. but uh, there we go. He's uh, so old he's forgotten. But uh, Dan, uh, obviously, uh, wanted to catch up about the, the house move. I was thinking about this because some people across the road from us were moving out on Friday, and uh, I was thinking we've been so ensconced in uh, slow cooker gate, haven't we, that uh, I'm not sure we've ever actually asked when you're moving house. So is it imminent or is it still a way away? No, it's still it's still a way away. Not, nothing imminent yet. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, just finally, before we get going, TSP patrons will have our next TSP VIP event on Saturday, the 27th at 10 a.m. UK time. So look forward to seeing those of you who can make it to that on Saturday. I've sent invite details to all of you. As always, if you don't uh, remember what they are, or if you need them again or anything like that, just let me know and I'll send them over. But uh, let's get going for this week. Underpinned by our global TSP patrons, this is TSP 151. <laughs> This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. A point, a point, my kingdom for a point. Those were the words written by Glenn in his blog this week after Saints finally moved off of 29 Premier League points 48 days after they'd arrived on that number. The 1-1 draw with Chelsea, a welcome boost for manager, players, club and fans. Glenn, we'll come on to some of the main talking points in a moment, but as a summary, a solid performance by Saints and a well-deserved draw in the end. Yes, I think so. Um, I think it's a result that everyone would have taken before the game. Um, Though, even though I did predict it, as you say, um, I wasn't fully confident in that prediction. So, yeah, happy days, really, just just to get moving again. I think I said last week that was the biggest problem with ultimately losing to Wolves is that you know we didn't even get a point and we didn't even move off of 29 and you know the media love talking about well you've lost this many games in a row so it's nice it's nice to to shut that up though I did notice that they've now started talking about Saints have only won one in 10 or whatever so <laughs> there's always a spin, you know, isn't there? yeah there's always there's always something so yeah it was it was um it was an interesting game because we didn't really go hell for leather whether that was because 
you know, at the start of the game, whether that was because we were kind of working on trying to keep something in the tank for the second half or whether it was because Chelsea just kept the ball really well, which they did, but they didn't really do anything with it. And when we went ahead after half an hour, it was it was ridiculous. It totally against a run of play. The first time we'd really had any sort of possession in their half or even a touch in their half. And it was a combination of two players who had not done a single thing right up until that point. Um, and it was, you know, it was a really, really good really well-weighted ball through by Redmond and, and the finish from Minamino was brilliant. It was just, just class to, to sit two players down like that and then score with the outside of your foot. It's the sort of thing, the sort of thing you do on a park, isn't it, when you're, uh, when you're messing around. It was, it, you know, just calmness, just a great finish. Yeah, and I actually think if it hadn't been for the uh, for the forwards tackle by by Danny Ings, which um, was was horrible, um, and it was you know it was a penalty instantly, wasn't it? You can't argue about that at all. If it hadn't been for that, I think the the way we kind of set about the game, we probably would have held on for a one nil win. But you know when we let in the goal against Wolves from a penalty at roughly the same time of the game, we kind of fell apart and did nothing. Whereas this time there was there was a response, and whilst you couldn't at any stretch say we you know, ever looked like we were going to nick it. Okay, we had the header against the bar, but you know, I think ev- everyone, certainly on our side, w- was happy was happy with a point with about 20 minutes to go, and the, you know that we kept in shape and we didn't really uh, we didn't really take too many chances. And I, I think for once, everyone was happy with that. Yeah, Dan, you spoke about the the tactical battle between Ralph and Nuno Santos, didn't you, up at Molyneux earlier in the season on last week's pod? And it was interesting to see something similar between Ralph and Thomas Tuchel yesterday, especially early on as Saints looked to sort of shuffle around a bit. What did you kind of make of that initial stage of the match as both sides sort of worked each other out? I guess I thought. The, the whole kind of tactical battle started when the official kind of Southampton Twitter feed released the, the team news because they had Genepo straight after McCarthy, which would ind- indicate that Genepo is either playing at right wing back or he's playing at right back. For about two minutes, that was the case. And then they switched to Ralph's normal 4-2-2-2. And it was as simple as that then for the rest of the game. I mean, for the first two minutes, it was really interesting. It was like, oh, wow, look, Ralph's, Ralph's veered off from his favoured formation. He's, he's trying something different. And I was talking to someone that knows knows Ralph fairly well early on in the game and I was trying to work out whether this is something that they've been working on or whether this is completely new and it's just happened this week and it's something that I think they've been working on in the past it's not it's not that he came up with this idea uh, on Monday ahead of the game and thought right well let's try 3-4-3 and see how that goes now I mean you were on the press conference you heard how he was speaking about his former assistant at Leipzig in the Chelsea dugout whether this was kind of a ploy that no one would have expected him to change his formation, so let's change it for a couple of minutes and see what goes on. But it was, it was fascinating. I thought it was just interesting the way he did it and then how he reverted to type immediately after. And I saw there were a couple of other kind of suggestions as to what he was doing, but from being in the stadium, you could just tell from Genepo's position, Genepo was not playing as a right wing back. He was a number 10, and Ralph said after the game that he was playing as a number 10. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, like I say, it gave us something to talk about for the first kind of five minutes as we all tried to figure out what he was doing, and then it became clear that, oh, no, he's just playing on the back four, and it, it's as normal. But too cool, yeah, you could... I mean, being at St. Mary's on Saturday, it was fascinating to watch too cool. He He's a really interesting guy. I, I, I hadn't watched too much of PSG or too much of Dortmund so first thing I didn't realize how how quite tall he was he's bloody massive and that, that was the first thing I noticed but the way he is on the touchline is just fascinating you could honestly sit there and write 500 words just about what he's like on, on the sideline he's gets so frustrated with his players I mean, we saw what he did to Hudson-Odoi like he's not afraid to to make his point known if needs be and he 
hear quite loudly groan or or errors frustration if something goes wrong and yeah it was just brilliant as glenn said it's nice just to to have a positive result and we shouldn't all act like it was a win because it wasn't a win but it was just that the fact that they haven't lost again i think because it was just i mean i i don't want to sound i i know i'm in a very fortunate position i get to write and talk about southampton football club um, most days of the week but it gets the job gets so much more difficult when they keep on losing because all of a sudden unsurprisingly no one wants to talk about Southampton Football Club when you pick up the phone and no one wants to read about Southampton Football Club because who wants to read about their team when they lose every week so the fact there's like you know that it, there's a, a change in the sort of sales and the, the direction is is obviously a positive I can be happy going into to Monday morning thinking right new week let, let's go Leeds now the Leeds game all of a sudden looks winnable whereas had they lost that Chelsea game, as I was saying just before we started recording, you could easily see them going up to Leeds and losing and then losing the next game. So it's good. It's brilliant. And as Glenn mentioned, I think the way they reacted after the 60th minute onwards was really impressive. When I speak to to people about how, how do you beat this Southampton team and from people close to the club, it's you wait. Basically, you just stay in the game for 60 minutes because they will fade. And then once they faded, that's when you can take advantage. But that didn't happen. I thought they were kind of disciplined, dedicated. They all knew what they were doing. And again, had, as Glenn said, had it not been for Danny's challenge on, on Mount in the box, I, you never really sensed that Chelsea were going to score. They no. had that spell in the early kind of 20 minutes where they they looked dangerous. But after that, it was just, all right, so Southampton know what they... It was almost like not as drastic as that. But when Southampton were attacking Newcastle at St. James's Park... They just didn't offer anything. And at no point did Newcastle probably think that Saints were going to score. And I'm sure Southampton, while vigilant, probably thought the same. Or I don't. I just can't see Chelsea scoring against us here because they're not doing anything particularly that's going to trouble us. Yeah. be interesting to get your view on uh, Chinepo in a minute, Dan, because I know you've uh, put a piece out in The Athletic. So if you're listening, guys, and you've not read it, Dan's done a good piece uh, this weekend about Chinepo and playing in a slightly different role. But, Steve, just so while we're sort of kind of talking about the, the tactical battle, as, as Dan says, it's interesting because ahead of the game, Ralph had kind of said to me that having time on the training pitch with the players had been really important. You mentioned it at the start, Steve, the fact there wasn't a game midweek. So, you know, he kind of mentioned that it was a, a good chance for him to sort of reignite a few of the roles and responsibilities with them on set up and things like that and you could kind of see the results because all of them knew what they were doing and even when he shifted formation immediately again the players were sort of straight into right I know what my role is I know who I'm tracking etc etc yeah we looked a lot more lot better drilled didn't we uh, this week um, you could tell that they actually been able to spend a little bit of time working on a specific plan because I mean for all the most teams have got a system that they prefer to play it's only it's very few who are actually able to play that system without any sort of changes on a sort of game-by-game basis. It's probably only Liverpool City and probably the only one, the only other one is Leeds, and that's just through stubbornness as opposed to having um, clearly superior players. And so having that, those extra few days to be able to work on things that were specific to the way that Chelsea Chelsea were likely to operate just gave us so so much more sort of confidence in, in the way that we were setting ourselves up. And as you say, I mean, I think first first half they had one shot on target, which was from about 40 yards um, straight down McCarthy's throat. So for all that they were getting into a lot of really good positions, yeah, I mean it it never 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 once in that first half felt like they were going to score. Obviously, we then go down the other end and get one ourselves, and you think, well, hang on, we've we've actually 
we've actually played this to perfection at, at the moment because I mean, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk constantly about sort of the inferior teams up against the the big six turning up turning up to games home or away and just parking the bus and that's that's i mean that's not what we did but that would be that would be the impression of that people will get when they see the see the stats at the end at the end of the game where where we've only where we've only had four shots one of which was on target but Actually, we we had spells in the game where we were where we looked good attacking attacking wise, and we limited them to a couple of pot shots and and a penalty that was just bright just a bit of a brain fade uh, more than anything. So yeah, I mean having just preparation is is so is so important at the high particularly at the highest level because it's it's fine it's the fine details. And that's been that's been the big thing for us that we've not been able to fine tune those details in in training sessions because we we have we haven't had training sessions. It's been it's been recovery. It's been sort of short term preparation. You don't get to do the minor detail stuff. It's it's all generic. So having having that time has been absolutely priceless. And obviously now it's going to. It's obviously going to fall to bits now that we've got midweek games coming up and stuff. But actually between Leeds and Everton, we've got. What six days? So that's yeah. that's then. I mean, it's effectively another week, isn't it? So I mean, you kind of have to have to suck it up for the trip to Elland Road on Tuesday night. But I mean, maybe they maybe they did a bit of Leeds prep at some point during during the week just gone as well. Who knows? Um, I mean, they, they they weren't especially impressive against against Wolves, I didn't think. No, they weren't. And we'll come on to talk about their uh, defensive record in a bit as well, which uh, probably tenth fate. But uh, yeah, um, just looking at Glenn's ratings then, uh, Dan. Um, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn gave Vestergaard man of the match with a, an eight, but uh, he also gave Salasu an eight, and he also gave Gineppo an eight. And I know on our group chat uh, we were all very complimentary about Gineppo. Just to reflect briefly on the piece that you've done, Dan. I, I know we could pull out several players, but just specifically about Gineppo because I think many of us felt it was one of his best games. In in a Saints shirt and in a slightly different role so just sort of summarise how you think he impacted the game and what stood out for you I think what stood out for me was his discipline in the in the number 10 role he's obviously played there a lot but you, you never quite know what you're going to get from Jennifer in a kind of in a defensive point of view you always feel like he's one bad decision away from getting himself sent off or <laughs> yeah. just leaving a foot in somewhere he shouldn't be leaving a foot in but I honestly thought I was, I was honestly so impressed by the discipline he had against Chelsea and the energy he had. I mean, he was still going in the 90th minute after being kicked around for quite a large part of the game. Two leg-breaking um, challenges that the referee failed to see. <laughs> well, Surprise. yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, it, yeah, what can you say about those? You see the, the still pitches and they don't look very good, do they? But it was the the, the discipline, the, the kind of the energy and attack, and it's probably been missed out, but... Just as Minute Redmond threads that ball through to Minamino, Genepo makes a run. Now Redmond wasn't going to pass the ball to to Genepo, but Genepo distract it takes one of the defenders' attention away to him. All of a sudden, oh, there's another player running now. So he had to, it was that it was just a clever run that the ball was always going to go to Minamino, but it was just a clever run. So I, I I thought he did well there, and it was just the especially in the 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 first half where Southampton went up and. Uh, at the Athletic we have access to Opta and you can see his touch map and you can see just how and it's in the article I've done online how disciplined he was in terms of keeping to the right and providing Bednarek who isn't a right back cover which which was important I mean I think it's probably safe to say that Bednarek well he did really well actually to be honest he did well um, I called that out last week Dan I mean uh, you know Glenn's going to get credit for his 1-1 draw I'm pretty sure I said Bednarek at right back last week 
Yeah, I, I can't remember. It's been a really long week. I did. <laughs> <laughs> if you're telling me you did, then you did, and I believe you. That's, that's, that's fine. But it was... You could argue it was almost a, when you see Bednarek and Jenepo. Bednarek, you're going to trust, and you think, yeah, okay, he's he's steady enough here, do something. Jenepo, you want, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. So I just thought it was a, a really important performance from him, and maybe I'm overplaying it, but and I've seen something that perhaps others others haven't, and I'm putting too much emphasis on how good I thought he was. But just I, I honestly thought it was the best performance I've seen from him, the most complete performance I've seen from him. We know what he's like in attack. He's He's a bit of, again, kind of, you don't know what you're going to get. He can twist you whatever way, and sometimes the end product isn't brilliant. And against Chelsea, he didn't have to do too much fancy attacking, but it was just the defensive work that really impressed me. Getting stuck in, which is, and Hassan Hunt said after the game, that his um, work against the ball was probably the best it, it's ever been at. And I think that is a, a prime example of Jenepo heeding the advice that Ralph's probably giving him, and it's all of a sudden sinking in. Now, the important thing for Musa, in my opinion, is this can't be a one-off. This has to be, he now has to do this for three games in a row, then five games, then 10 games. It has to, we have to see that week in, week out if he plays. It can't just be a one-off performance. He has to now build on this and he should, because he should feel pretty confident going into the next game if he plays. He can't then revert to type and kind of drift in and out because I thought he didn't drift in and out against Chelsea. He was there from minute one until the final whistle he was present in that game whereas sometimes he can fade away the the really important thing is that he he take it, it has to happen on a more regular basis it has to happen frequently he can't just have another good game in six weeks time he has to have a good game in the next match and the one after that and the one after that because that's when we're going to see the best of Jennifer. I think some really good points in there and I was just going to say briefly uh, as well and Glenn you can probably answer this it, Ralph seems to have really good confidence and trust in him you know we saw when he got into the other week Ralph you know sort of embracing them and then Gineppo embracing him at the end of the game and there seems to be a really good bond between them as well Glenn yeah I'd, I'd say so I'd, I'd say so and I think Moose is the type of character that you you want to do well easy you know he it just seems like a, a, a lively sort of guy and he brings some of those intangibles to the table that you know a lot of other players don't I mean but I agree with everything that Dan said just there but I, I also think the most important thing for, Gin- for Gineppo was that he got absolutely clattered twice. Now in other games he would have gone off, and but yesterday or, or just disappeared or just disappeared. But yesterday it it looked like he, he wanted to stay on. You know he he looked like he was blowing a bit the last few minutes I have to say, but he he did he looked like he wanted to stay on, and Ralph wanted to leave him on because he's one of those players that usually. When this, you know, when we get into the substitution zone around 65, 70 minutes, you can tell he's kind of looking to the touchline knowing <laughs> he's coming off. Yeah. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Um, and so, you know, that, that to me, he, he responded to the, you know, we talk about responding to adversity as a team, but he is an individual. I, you know, he got, he got whacked a few times and, you know, so that, that's something that's not particularly pleasant for him. He doesn't like that side of things, but he, you know, he got back up and he carried on playing. And I think that's almost as, as important as, as all the stuff that Dan mentioned. Yeah. Steve, let's touch on the, the goal then just briefly. Um, the, sort of Glenn mentioned earlier, I mean, it was obviously a fantastic pass from Redmond to Minamino. But actually, if you go back and, and re, you know, sort of rewind, it starts with Alex McCarthy. There's several passes between Saints players knocking it around. It goes out wide. Uh, and then obviously the finish, as Glenn mentioned earlier, I mean, I thought spectators weren't allowed to be at St Mary's, but Asper, Laqueta and Mendy were both sat down watching the ball go in. So uh, a beauty from Saints. Well, the 
biggest spectator was uh, Kurt Zumer, who basically gave up running um, about 20 yards from goal. Yeah. And if, if he carried if he carried on running, he'd have probably blocked the shot. Um, such was the amount of time that Minamino was able to take. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, from a defensive perspective. I mean, if, if that was us conceding it, you'd be absolutely furious. Mm, it's like part of the ways, probably, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, at least at least three or four players have just not done their basic job in that in that goal. But I mean, fair play, we we took we took advantage. And I mean, to be honest, Redmond and Minamino in that first half were pretty much anonymous, mm. apart from for the goal. Um, so it does it does kind of go to show that um, you only need a little a little flash of something with players at this level and 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 you can do some serious damage. So yeah, it's it's one of those things of, of as as we said before, stay in the game, stay in the game against anybody, and you give yourself an opportunity. And I mean, too much too often in the last last two months or so, we've not been doing that. And but yeah, I mean to get to have Red, Redmond so heavily involved in in a goal like that will do his confidence the world of good i think i actually thought he he was he was noticeably um sort of uh brighter in the second half uh, much more willing to run at players wanting the ball to feet uh moving himself into space rather than doing what quite a lot of players do when they're lower confidence in in that they actually move with the marker as opposed to move away from them yeah and you, yeah, you you could see that some something had just sparked there a little bit. I mean, we've not seen any actual end product from him from him yet, sort of nearer the goal. But hopefully, in the coming games, that will uh, that will come. Yeah, and it's interesting about the possession as well, Glenn. I know quite a few people have sort of touched on that. Saints had only 29% yesterday, their second lowest of the season. Unsurprisingly, the lowest was 25% at Old Trafford the other week when we played majority of the game with uh, 10 men. But again, Ralph had also spoken about maybe creating a bit more stability. And I know we've touched on the tactical side of things, but I suppose being slightly less gung-ho almost and coming out and trying to play Chelsea at their own game and, and sort of starting to end the run by looking to build from the back a little bit and, and create a, li- a little bit more stability back there maybe i think when you're playing against the, the big boys you, you are naturally you're not going to have 75 percent possession home or away it's just, it's just not going to happen that's you know they, they all play that similar style where they they want to keep the ball um with the possible exception of tottenham but you know they all they all want to they all want to keep the ball and, and they're going to have the majority of possession against you as you need the, the games where you have lots of possessions against the likes of Burnley, you know, and teams down near the bottom. That that's when you've got to be able to sort of play that that style of football and make it work. So, I don't, I certainly don't think Ralph will have been bothered by the fact that Chelsea had whatever percentage possession it was. Um, it, it does suit us as a team. You know, we've got when we're actually moving the ball quickly, which was a bit of a problem in the first half until we scored. We'd barely strung three passes together. We'd sort of got up to the halfway line and then lost the ball, and Chelsea had come back, and it was a, it was a really strange first half from the point of view of nothing happening in the the two final thirds, and it was almost like a training game. We were giving them the ball back, they were attacking, we were staying solid, nothing was. Nothing was really happening. So yeah, I, th- I think, I think- par- that's that's partially a, an issue with the lack of crowds, isn't it? Because you can guarantee that if you'd had thirty plus thousand in at St Mary's and had, um, and had seen the way that we were standing off of them and letting them kind of come onto us without really posing us any danger, you could see that the crowd would have got a little bit arsy and and started yeah. pressuring us to to put put a little bit more pressure on and. Yeah. That, that would have shot ourselves in the foot because we'd, Absolutely. we'd, have, react, we'd yeah. have reacted to it and done it and then left them space in behind. We've, we've, we've lost six games in a row. You're playing Chelsea, who have got a new manager. They've got the new manager bounce. They're playing really well. You, you can't go and 
press them all over the pitch. You, you just you just can't. It would just be ridiculous. Um, I do agree with you, though. There would have been a lot of people that would have been get into them, lads, and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I think it suited us the way that game sort of panned out yesterday. And and maybe because we you know we weren't be interested to know the. I mean, I'm not into my stats too much as you know, but the the mileage covered. We we just seem to have more energy at the end of the game. I, I didn't feel like we were desperately hanging on for the final whistle. Like, um, well, normally we're, we're just waiting for the game to end so we don't get beat by too many. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it just it just seemed like we had something in hand still at, at, at the end of the game to, to see it out relatively strongly. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Jonathan Redsell sent a, a note through yesterday. He said, here's something to look at on the pod. How are our results when we have most of the possession and how are our results when we have far less of the possession? It feels that when we have less possession, we actually have better results, but I could be crazy. Um, Jonathan, as per your note, I've had a look into Saints Premier League possession stats for this season and it does make interesting reading, actually. I split the data into two categories. When Saints have had 50% or more possession in a game this year, and when they've had 49% or less. Interestingly, out of the 24 games they've played so far, they've had less than half of the overall match possession in just seven of those matches. Their record with 49% or less possession is played seven, won three, drawn two, and lost two. That's a defeat percentage of 28%, with those two defeats coming against Manchester City at home, and as mentioned just a moment ago, the game up at Old Trafford with nine men. So no disgrace in losing to either of those sides, whatever the particular circumstances. When we beat Liverpool at St Mary's on the 4th of January, we only had 33% of the possession. Yesterday versus Chelsea was the lowest amount of possession we've had this season, 29%, but when we've gone on to actually pick up at least a point, so the lowest amount of possession when we've actually got something out of the game. On the flip side, Saints record with 50% or more possession during 2020-21 reads as follows. We've played 17, won 5, drawn 4 and lost 8, so that's a defeat percentage of 47%. Steve, Glenn, Dan, any guesses for which match Saints have had their highest amount of possession in this season? Uh, it's got to be Newcastle, wasn't it? Yeah, well done. No surprises there. At St James's Park the other week, Steve's quite right. We had 74% of the ball, and as everyone will well remember, we lost. Our second highest was opening day at Crystal Palace when we had 71% possession, and yep, you guessed it, we lost 1-0. So our highest amount this season when winning was against Sheffield United St Mary's. We had 68% possession and a 3-0 victory. So, as I say, it is quite interesting uh, when you look at it. It certainly shows... Uh, Per Jonathan's original point that when it comes to possession, I think we all know the old cliche, it's not how much of the ball you have, it's what you do with it. Anyway, here's Ralph's post-Chelsea thoughts, including him touching on possession via SouthamptonFC.com. Yes, very happy because of uh, our negative run we had over the last weeks, uh, so it was important to take this point. It feels good, definitely that you get a reward for the hard work you do here, and, and for us it was a, a big step forward now. I think uh, we showed some some good defending today, um, offensively a beautiful goal, what we tried to, to work on during the week, it was working perfect I think and yes, this is this is how you can score against such a team. Uh, we had a few more opportunities, so not 100% chances, but uh, yeah, so the chance from Mayanik was maybe the biggest one, a little bit unlucky, but okay, and then I think it was uh, important for us. Tough to play against this shape uh, when they build up with this shape. It's always clear that you don't have a lot of possession. They had in the second half better counter pressing, so it's also tough to, to keep the ball. And if you win it, we definitely tried it from time to time, but it was not always possible. And then they have a quick transition also. 
I think they didn't play their best game today, but it was a little bit on us. I think that, that they didn't do it. Dan, obviously frustrating to give away another penalty, as Steve mentioned earlier, but probably no arguments about this one. I'm going to touch on Alex McCarthy's uh, penalty saving in a minute. A striker's tackle, I think you could call it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think you just write that one down as Danny trying to do his best, but perhaps not. Yeah, I, <laughs> there's not, not much more you can say other than it's a striker trying to make a, a tackle in the area. And I thought there was one angle that we saw on the replays where it looked like, oh, he, he got the ball. And then you think, oh, actually, show another angle. Oh, no, he didn't. Um, <laughs> he took more of Mason Mount than anything. It was, I think it was one of those ones that Glenn mentioned earlier that as soon as he went down and he made contact with Mount, I think Danny knew as well. And there was just... There, there, was, was, no, there was no complaint from anyone. No, exactly. There? No one batted an eyelid. It wasn't, it was just... It was so obvious. That it I think was Minamino dropped to his knees in absolute disgust at the start, uh, the tackle as well, didn't he? So uh, but, uh, there we go. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, I, I wanted to briefly pick up on Alex McCarthy and penalties, Dan, as I'd seen a few comments about his record saving them. And as a, a very average goalkeeper myself, I suppose I've always sort of focused a bit of attention on goalies and, you know, what they do and how they do it and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I just want to clarify for anyone that's listened to this, you know, first things first, this isn't going to be an Alex McCarthy bashing far from it, as I think uh, Alex has been an incredibly consistent for Saints and proved again yesterday what a solid Premier League goalkeeper he is. Instead, I suppose it's just a bit of a, a topic for discussion that I wanted to raise, as I thought a few people might be interested to look at it. But it's basically to do with his penalties and and the record of sort of saving them. I think we all agree the most professional footballers, you know, shouldn't be missing the chance to score unchallenged from 12 yards out. I know that's a strong view you've got, Dan. So saving penalties is, is certainly not an easy task for any top-level goalkeeper. But having conceded a, a number this season, you know, including Ruben Nevers last week and Mason Mount this weekend, it's never really felt to me like McCarthy has been close to saving any of them. So in typically boring style, I decided to take a, a statistical look at his record versus other goalkeepers currently playing in the Premier League or, you know, previously playing for Saints. And when you look at McCarthy's career penalty record, he's faced 27 penalties in his senior career and he saved just three of them. So that's an 11% success rate for any mathematical fans out there. Looking at his last 10 penalties faced for Saints, going back to Glenn Murray for Brighton on the 31st of January 2018 under Maurizio Pellegrino, McCarthy has only saved one. I'm sure all Saints fans remember it. It was against Matt Ritchie last season in that last game that we had with fans at St Mary's down at the chapel stand then. As Steve said before we kicked off the pod, fantastic save actually down uh, low to McCarthy's left. Weirdly, of those 10 penalties, Rich is the only left-footer that McCarthy's faced. Uh, all the others were right-footed penalties, and as I say, that's the only one that he's saved. The other nine came courtesy of Mount yesterday, Nevers last weekend. Of course, Bruno Fernandes up at Old Trafford the other week, thanks to Mike Dean. Pascal Gross down at the Amex and Ollie Watkins this season. All those guys scored, and in all of those, McCarthy dived the wrong way. And I'm asking you to trust me here, because I watched all of them back last night. There were two conceded against McCarthy last season. Richie's missed, which I've mentioned. Raul Jimenez then scored in that Wolves 3-2 comeback at St Mary's. And yep, you guessed it, McCarthy dived the opposite way for that one too. And prior to that, 2018-2019 saw two further penalties for McCarthy to face. Ashley Barnes equalised in the 94th minute at Turf Moor when Jack Stevens was handballed. I'm sure we all remember Peter Crouch calling uh, all over him. And uh, Glenn Murray equalised in the 91st minute at St Mary's for a two-all draw in September 2018 after Pierre-Emil Hoiberg had scored that scream in the first half. I think we all remember typical Saints being 2-0 up and then blowing it to draw two-all. But um, the point I'm making, McCarthy actually stood in the middle of the goal for the Barnes penalty and the Burnley front man put it to the right of the net. Meanwhile, Murray went to the left of the goal while McCarthy died right. So I suppose the overall point I'm making is that that first penalty back in January 2018, the previous season, 
Murray had uh, rolls reversed on the opposite, so Murray went white uh, and McCarthy had dived left. But I, I gave you a bit of a heads up on this topic because I was interested to get your view. But I just wondered if there's something obvious you think McCarthy is doing that means opposition analysts and players and things like that know exactly where he's going to dive because does he show his body weight too soon or does he have a trigger that tells him which way he's going you know just like Fernandez and Nevers and Mount have all done recently you know they've just rolled the ball into the opposite corner so you know do you think he's just been a bit unlucky do you think he's not got sort of a lack of conviction or lack of confidence or you just refer back to your point that ultimately it's very hard to save uh, professional footballer penalties Blimey, I, I hope I can talk for at least two or three minutes because it sounds like you need a breather after all of that. Your Sunday afternoon sounds a lot more intense than mine was. I take it far uh, too seriously. <laughs> so, I mean, well, you, you'd have watched all of them back from the ones you've seen. Is he diving before the penalty's been taken? Is he diving as as the player is striking the ball? Is he moving to his left? Is he moving to his right? I think with penalties, it's as it's the first thing when you WhatsApp me that this morning, the first thing I thought and I still think now is if you're 12 yards out and you're unchallenged, you, there's really no excuse for you to miss a penalty um, unless you slip up on your way to to hitting it or something. I, I don't know. It's it. I think it's. I mean, I I wasn't aware of that stat, so it's it's a fascinating stat. But then when you see goalkeepers guessing the right way and they the penalty still goes in, it's not. It doesn't really matter, does it? Oh, they guessed the right way, but they still scored. Well, brilliant. Fantastic. He guessed the right way. Top marks. I think it, I don't think it'll be down to a lack of research on Alex's behalf or the, the goalkeeping coach's behalf or the analyst's behalf. It's, it's, it's really difficult to kind of dissect. I think it's just one of those, isn't it? I, I don't know. It's until you, if, unless you're in that situation and you're Alex and you're looking at Mason Mount and he might think that Mason's going one way and then he rolls it the other. What what can you do? And uh, my best friend is a goalkeeper and he would always say, he, that he would say, whatever you do, just dive one way. Don't just stand in the middle, just dive one way because then at least it looks like you're, you're guessing or you're doing something right. Even if it goes in, at least you've, it shows you've given it some sort of thought. I'm sure Alex doesn't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I can't wait to concede a penalty today. <laughs> or I'll wait for Mason Mount to hit it into the right corner and then I'll dive to the left. So it's, it's I, I don't know, I think, to be honest, I think I don't think there's much more to add than what you've already added, other than that it's just, I don't, I don't want to say it's one of those because the stats suggest it's not just one of those things because it's obviously a, a deep-rooted problem. It's just how do you address that? You can watch... 10 videos of Mason Mount putting the ball into the right corner so you can dive into the right and then he might put it in the left yeah and I, then, think, I think that was Mount's first ever senior penalty so I'd, yeah. so I'd imagine with, with him you've not got any you've not got any footage to work with no you're in, expecting it to be Jorginho normally aren't yeah. you and choke, like he's the penalty taker so if he was on the pitch I'm sure I don't know where Mount would feature I mean I don't know how far goalkeepers go down I'm sure the, the goalkeepers who are famed for saving penalties would probably look four or five players down into a team. I don't know if you're how many realistically, how many penalties are you going to give away? It's probably something that if Southampton were a, a Champions League team or something, or then you'd expect them to do a lot more research on penalties because there's a chance that at the end of a the game, there's going to be a penalty shootout, but you may give one game away every few, one penalty away every few weeks. So if you're Alex, you're probably just thinking, right, OK, we've got Chelsea up next. They've got if they give away a penalty, if Jorginho's on the pitch, he's going to take it. And then you're thinking, right, if he's not on the pitch, it might be Werner or, or someone like that. I don't know how far down do you get until you think it might be Mason Mount. And just got to go so, with your gut. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I just, think with, I just yeah. think with penalties these days, the goalkeepers are 
it's changed a little bit. It used to be that the way to take a penalty was to decide where you were going to put it and just put it there and not worry too much about the goalkeeper. Now, you know, things, things have moved on. So what a lot of players do now is that they're actually looking for some sort of movement from the goalkeeper. Yeah. To decide, so I, think I suppose that's the point I'm making, Glenn. Does you know does McCarthy do it a bit earlier? I mean, I'll come on to some other stats in a minute, which actually he, mu- he that, must do it yeah, because McCar- McCarthy's I mean. dived the wrong way every time. Yeah, it's not nine out of ten. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not as if he's picked the right picked the right direction. Yeah, and he, it's gone he's in. just been beat. Yeah, yeah, he's just been beaten for pace. Yeah. Well, I think he did. Um, when I watched the one yesterday, I watched it back, and all his weight goes on his right foot. Mm-hmm. All McCarthy's weight goes on his right foot and Mount just rolls it the other side. Now, whether Mount was going to put it there anyway, it didn't look like it because he just passed it into the goal. He didn't put any excessive force on it. I mean, you know, if you go back to someone like Ricky Lambert, who obviously picked a spot and belted it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, personally, I, I think Mount saw McCarthy make that slight move to his you know, slight move to put his weight on his right foot and then just rolled it in the other corner. And that's what Bruno Fernandes does as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. obviously he does the hop, skippy, jumpy rubbish, but he, <laughs> that's, that's basically what he's looking for. He's, he's looking for the goalkeeper to make a move. Yeah. I think maybe, and, uh, as Dan says, we, and you're right, Glenn, maybe it's about giving the, the attackers credit more than the, the criticism. To, and I'm certainly, as I say, not being critical of McCarthy. It's just, he's not getting anywhere near them and kind of frustrates a little bit. Yeah. I mean, by statistical standards, a penalty is rated as 0.75. For XG, so that basically means there's a three three quarters a three of a guaranteed quarter, goal, yeah, three quarters of a chance that you're going to score. Um, so that surely means that opposition should be missing a quarter of them. And obviously, at the moment, they're very much not um, when it comes to penalties not against us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, there we go. All right. Well, uh, as I said, I'm not going to dwell on it for ages. I just thought it was an interesting point to raise. Um, ironically, before uh, he saved uh, Richie's last season, uh, McCarthy's uh, last penalty save was uh, on February the 26th, 2011. So 10 years ago against Darren Ambrose. So that's uh, one for the record books. But uh, I thought I should do him a bit of a favour by looking up a few other goalkeepers as well. Just finally to finish this section, uh, senior career, see what their records were like compared to his. Uh, it does include international matches, but it doesn't include penalty shoot outs uh, at uh, either level and just in case anyone's interested I got the data from transfer market but as I say Alex is 3 out of 27 to date 11% Angus Gunn another Saints goalkeeper saved 5 out of 19 during his career 26 success rate Fraser Forster's had plenty of practice during his career he's faced 38 he's saved 15 of them so 39% which is pretty high wow some, some yeah some others in the Premier League currently yeah, Kasper Schmeichel has saved 22 of 86 in his career, 25%. Hugo Lloris has only saved 15 out of 96. So that says a lot as well, because he'd uh, probably be in the world-class goalkeeper bracket, 16%. Jordan Pickford has saved 11 out of 45, 24%. Nick Pope, 22 faced, 4 saved. And I thought I'd go back into the uh, the sort of ex-Saints just to have a brief look. Dave Besant faced 39 in his career. He saved 4, which is 10%. For the record, that's less than Alex. Anti Niemi only ever saved 1 out of 29. That was against Danny Lenzat of Wigan, 3%. And finally, Paul Jones was the worst I could find. He only ever saved Don Hutchinson of Everton once, 34 faced, 1 save. So that's a 2.9 success rate. I mean, we, we, all, we all know that Peter Shilton is definitely the worst. Because mm, mm. he, he just didn't move. He just, stood, he just stood there, didn't he? Exactly. Well, you, 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 wouldn't have had the, you wouldn't have had the stats from back in the 70s and 80s, nah, would you? Nah, so there we go. But... Uh, just to finish on that section, uh, I can't reiterate what uh, a good goalkeeper Macker is and uh, certainly one of a criticism. But, Glenn, just to finish this section then, uh, given everything that's happened the last uh, four or five weeks, all the results, something really positive for Saints to now build on and ahead of us previewing the Leeds game in a minute, hopefully a bit more confidence around the camp. Yeah, I th- I, the key is, yeah, confidence of getting a decent result against you know one of the big boys. 
confidence at stopping the rot because, you know, we looked like a half decent team in the game yesterday. And so it just it just lets everybody gives everybody a bit of a bit of a lift and we can go into this game. And it, it's not quite as crushingly important as it would have been otherwise if we'd um, if we'd lost to Chelsea. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's 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 a result that, as Dan said earlier on, it definitely gives us more confidence that we can go up to to Leeds and uh, get another positive result. The Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Now, due to Saints' success in the FA Cup this season, Tuesday sees Ralph and the Lads travel to Ellen Road for the rearranged Premier League match. Leeds are the only opposition Saints haven't yet faced in the league, which seems weird when there's only 14 games to go. Steve, what have you made of Leeds this season? Because uh, I think it's fair to say most of their matches have certainly been entertaining for the neutral. Yeah, I mean they've been they've been fascinating to watch, but I can't help but feel that some of the praise that they're getting has been slightly over the top, given that, that like, um, when they were at Old Trafford before, um, was that Boxing Day, maybe? Mm, yeah, um, 16 and they were, and they, Yeah, and they were 4-0 they were down inside about 20 minutes, and yet the way the commentators were going on, you would have thought that Leeds were the ones winning. And some, yeah, some of, the, some of the coverage when they've gone up against the big, the big sides and got absolutely spanked, has been very strange, and you kind of think that any any other any other sort of newly promoted team going to going to Old Trafford, going to I mean even going to Arsenal, obviously they got battered at Arsenal last week. Um, even going somewhere like that and playing the way that they did and getting their asses handed to them, any any other side would be saying, well they're they're naive, they've got they've got to change got to change the system, they've got to um, sort out the defence and make themselves more solid. But nobody nobody seems to be doing that with Marcelo Bielsa, which I find I find fascinating. But I mean they've 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 been they've been great fun to watch, even if they go from the sublime to the ridiculous at times. When they're good they're very, very good and when they're bad they are horrendous. And it's basically a case of how you negate the good parts of their team because I mean in, in terms of energy I don't think you'll find a team that's more energetic particularly when things are going their way but on the flip side I don't think I think probably West Brom is probably the only defence that's worse um, they can see loads of goals from set pieces they're really vulnerable from them so that's that's something that we should be looking to attack them on given that we're quite good with those obviously and I mean, going going forward, I find it absolutely baffling that Patrick Bamford has suddenly turned into a good striker. Because I remember when he was at, obviously Chelsea paid decent money to sign him as like a 15-year-old from Nottingham Forest, and they then farmed him out on loan five or six times, and he was basically awful everywhere. And he wasn't even that great for Leeds last season. I think, I mean, they, they'd have they'd have absolutely run away with the league and had it sewn up before the before lockdown if he'd been in the same form as he has been this season. And yet something something's just clicked in him uh, this season, and all of a sudden he's he's just not just a ruthless striker, but he's he also shows an, an awful lot of intelligence. I think in terms of his runs dragging um, dragging defenders out of the way, which then allows other players like Rafinha and um, Rodrigo when he's when he's been fit to um, to run into those gaps and, and create create chances through other avenues. It, they're a they're a really interesting team to watch, and to be honest, there aren't that many of those um, at the moment in in the league. So um, no, I mean uh, thumb, thumbs up to them, but um, I hope they play the play the bad. Uh, 
the bad leads on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, I think Patrick Bamford had only scored one Premier League goal before this season, honey, and we can all guess who that was against. And, and, yes, and of course, that, and of course, it, that it was. was I was there. I saw it. It, it was, was at the Riverside Stadium in Claude Puel's penultimate game. Thankfully, we did win two one. But uh, yeah, typical Saints there as well. But uh, Dan, after everything that Steve said there, Marco Bielsa, are you a fan or not? Yeah, I I find him fascinating. I'm probably more fascinated than maybe a fan or or anything like that he's obviously all you have to do is hear other managers managers speak about him to to kind of understand how how much respect he has throughout the game but I do find it like Steve slightly baffling that he's almost immune to like criticism it's like no Marta he's but Bielsa's a god and it is just it is I I find that utterly strange to be honest I, I find that part of it odd I can see why he'd be a god to Leeds fans uh, he's got them back into the Premier League and he kind of is this mythical kind of guy that you know, sits on a bucket or no, doesn't even sit on a bucket does he I mean the way he sits in his dugout and the technical I have that, no that idea how to do he with his that. back though isn't it I have he's no idea strong, must have the strongest knees in the world yeah, yeah. I think it's something I, to do with the back so two minutes yeah it, that I mean in that sense I, I take my hat off to him that's probably my favourite thing about Bielsa is the way he stays in that position for so long because it is incredibly it hurts your knees it's a horrible position but to, so, no, so to after all that dad his greatest trait is the, the, just the way he bends really <laughs> <laughs> no look, let's, let's be honest his side play entertaining football it's entertaining for because you know that there's a good chance that they they may score four but there's a really good chance they concede five at the same time so it's it's kind of end to end a bit chaotic and he has to he has to take credit because he managed to take Leeds into the Premier League and they've been wanting to do that for so long. We we also we all remember that Derby Gate where he sent spies to to watch the, the train Derby train and then he bored the journalists to death with a three hour press conference afterwards <laughs> to explain what he was doing. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's how'd you kill a story, just get Bielsa talking for three hours about it. By the time you've left the room you're like what In Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, look, guys like Pep Guardiola, Pochettino, they know a lot more about football than I do, and they talk very highly of him. So he clearly is a is a fantastic manager. I just don't understand why he's immune to criticism, because he's doing an OK job with Leeds in the Premier League. He's not doing a great job. They either win or they lose, don't they? It's not they've, they've drawn, what, two games? Maybe two <laughs> Reminds me of someone else, I think. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've got a slightly different take on it. I, I think he's fantastic. I really do. Why, Glenn? Um, what, what do you like about him? I'll tell you why, because Leeds have been crap for years. They've been messing around in League One and the Championship. But it's been really entertaining watching them be crap for years. <laughs> I know, I know, it has it's been. been. I mean, because they're not the sort of club that anyone likes, usually. And, you know, anyone who remembers the 70s and what they were like then, everyone hated Which is Leeds. Leeds. Yeah, absolutely. It's just this horrible horrible team that no one liked and it was a horrible place to go as well and i had a uh, yeah i had a bit of a scrape there that's, that's not changed not, not very nice but anyway the way he leads have come up this year their aim at the start of the season would have been to stay up and they're going to do that comfortably and they're going to do it playing this almost kamikaze style of football and i think you know fair play to him He's, i mean west brom would kill to be like leeds you know west brom are playing this Sort of, well, especially now, they're playing this sort of anti-football. Okay, they look okay sometimes. But you ask any Leeds fan, they would just want to stay up. Yes, they would have preferred not to have got their asses handed to them by Manchester United because that's a big game for them. But if you take the season as a whole, I mean, I've got a mate who's a Leeds fan and he, you know, he's, he's, he says this to me. They just wanted to stay up this year because other, you know, because they've had so many years of rubbish 
They just want to stay up this year, and they're, and they're going to stay up. They've got some great players in their team, and they can't carry on like this forever. If they stay up for three or four seasons, they, they can't be getting smashed by every every time they play a big club. But at the moment, I you know, I just they're a breath of fresh air. They it's it's so serious these days and so much about money and I I just I just think he brings a certain a certain randomness to the to the proceedings and I can see why the likes of Pep and Pochettino and the like, you know, worship the ground he walks on. But I mean, I, I wasn't really aware too much of him. You know, I obviously heard of him, but I wasn't aware too much of any of his sort of like particular teams that he'd managed. But, yeah, I think it's great. I think people that are a little bit different uh, and don't conform to the to the normal standards that people expect, you know, why should you go and try and grind out a 1-0 win? Let's try and win 4-3. I mean, we were talking to Lauren McMenemy the other day about, you know, we were talking about some of the – we used to go to the Dell in the 80s and, you know, we'd score – we'd let in three, we'd score four, and we'd all go home happy. Okay, there's a certain jeopardy in that, and some days it goes horribly wrong, but – I think it's great to have teams like that, and uh, yeah, long may it continue. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the the next season, whether they uh, get worked out or not, uh, won't they? But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the the lack of crowd at Ellen Road uh, can be a big uh, plus for away sides this season, Dan. The other thing, and I wrote this down, and I thought, why have you written this down? Because we know what's going to happen. But they've now gone nine games in all competitions without uh, keeping a, a clean sheet, so absolutely tempting fate there. But I suppose the point I'm making, Dan, is there's going to be opportunities for Saints. It's the perfect perfect game for Southampton to to find their touch in front of goal and score a few goals hopefully it, it may end up 4-4 but if they can just get more than the odd goal here or here or there yeah if Ings can get a couple if if Redmond can finally get one or a couple of other players chip in with a with a goal then that's gonna do their game the world of good so yeah absolutely it's gonna be entertaining you'd like to think it's not going to be nil nil or one all as a as a neutral, I hope it's you know five four to Saints or four three or something like that. I'll take just one a, nil win, Dan. Just, a, <laughs> just an utterly chaotic ninety minutes of football is what I'm hoping for. And if that ends in three points and about nine goals, obviously not nine nil, I should say that, but a five four or something, then then I'll be um, absolutely delighted. <laughs> Yeah, you're the only neutral that uh, thinks that listen to this pod, I reckon. But uh, there we go. Um, we've not faced Leeds in the Premier League since January 2004 when Saints won 2-1 at St Mary's thanks to goals from Brett Ormrod and Kevin Phillips. And I'm sure everyone will remember our last league visit to Ellen Road. You'll note I didn't say last visit to Ellen Road because we lost that. But our last league visit to Ellen Road was in March 2012 when Ricky Lambert scored and Kelvin Davis had an absolute worldie and we won 1-0. Our last six visits there in the league, played six, won two, drawn two, lost two. So uh, reasons to be optimistic. But just finally, Steve, before we do our um, predictions, would you stick with the team that uh, started yesterday, given Gineppa did so well? Or do you think he's likely to change it? Because I think as he let uh, Dan know, Stuart Armstrong's potentially available again. I think if Armstrong's available, he comes back into the team. Um, who he comes in for is is the question. I guess it depends, depends how he wants to set the system up. Is he happy with... I mean, obviously, Minamino's got a couple of goals, but he's been fairly peripheral in basically beyond the... Well, beyond... beyond, Goals, basically. Yeah, beyond beyond the first 45 minutes at Newcastle, he's not really been involved. Um, So I I wonder whether that may be a concern, particularly given given the sort of energetic performance we're likely to come up against. Um, I wonder whether he might go might take the slightly more pragmatic approach of bringing Armstrong in for Minamino on Tuesday, and then we can re- fully fully reassess 
um, ahead of Everton um, after the weekend. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, assuming Armstrong is fully fit, for me, he walks straight back into that team. Absolutely. All right, well, let's go on with some predictions. As I mentioned at the start, Glenn Delacour went for one all, so he's got another three points. Glenn's up to 19 points now. Dan's on 12, I'm on eight, Steve's on five. So it looks like our winner's uh, already sorted out. So well done on that, Glenn. Uh, let's give you the glorious <laughs> start in this week's prediction then, Glenn. Obviously, you know what you're talking about. Everyone knows that. The, the uh, Australia supporters always go on about the fact you're the messiah when it comes to predictions and all that sort of thing now. So uh... Yeah, that's why I've got so much money from betting <laughs> on football. It's a rollover um, in the Euro Millions. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, oh dear idea. Um, let, let's go. Let's go a bit. Uh, let's go a bit nuts and uh, let's have an away win. Um, and let's have it Steady by up. yeah by three goals to two. Three two win. All right, Dan, are you going for five four or something else? I go five four. Then why not five four Saints? Obviously. <laughs> yeah, sure. Five four Saints. <laughs> Good. Well, I'll bring everyone back down to reality. I'll go for one nil Leeds. Obviously, Steve, bring us home in glory. What do you reckon? Oh God. Well. See, in in the prediction league, I've basically turned into Sheffield United. I've, I've <laughs> give, compl- completely given up the ghost now. Yeah. So, Although you um, did win last season, so you kind of gone from glory to you know relegation. Yeah. Four-one right. uh, away win. <laughs> oh dear! Excellent. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. A big thanks for listening to TSP this week. We do appreciate your loyalty come rain or shine on the pitch. If you do enjoy TSP, then why not recommend it to a friend or give us a review on one of the various sites like iTunes. All support and recommendations are welcomed. We'll be back next weekend ahead of the Monday fixture with Everton and another road trip to Sheffield United. Patrons, we'll see you on Saturday. So until then, stop looking at the bottom of the table. Let's start looking up it again. Let's keep positive. There really isn't anything like the Saints roller coaster. Keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.